the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome into the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley along with Josh Pick. We look forward to spending the next hour with you to help you understand your money, planning for retirement, managing your wealth, growing your wealth. You've invested a lot of hard work, perhaps a long time in certain educational fields. No reason to let your money sit idly and not multiply and not be ready for retirement when it arrives. And that's our goal here on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. You can get a hold of Josh and his team at Aptus Wealth Management at 614-917-1040, and you can set up a free consultation online with them at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And Josh, as we sit and record the show today, we have a House of Representatives that's getting ready tomorrow to green light the $750-ish billion Inflation Reduction Act. We had inflation at 8.5% this week which Joe Biden said it was at zero. It's not at zero. It's 8.5%. I guess what he meant, according to Austin Goolsby and Obama financial advisor, was that there was no additional inflation in the month of July. But do we expect this to get House approval? I think we do, because it's pretty rare now for Democrats to part with uh, anyone on their side of the aisle. Uh, I agree. I, I think it'll get passed, or at least in some semblance that it exists today, mm-hmm. very close to what it is today. It does sound somewhat comedic that we're passing a $750 million spending bill. Billion. Billion, excuse me. <laughs> and calling it an Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. The way we're going to do this is we're going to spend ourselves right out of inflation. Um, maybe there's some good stuff in there. Maybe there isn't. I don't know that we'll ever know in the words of, I think it was Nancy Pelosi. We won't know if it works until we actually implement it. Yeah. Got to pass um, it to know what's in it. But to say that you know uh, inflation is at zero Maybe for a month, we've seen a retraction in gas prices. We've seen an increase in basically everything else other than meat, maybe at the grocery store, eggs, everything else is up still. So I think inflation is still very much an issue. Uh, I know earlier in the week on Monday, we talked about uh, Social Security, and I only bring this up because inflation was part of this conversation. And and everything that I'm reading is the anticipation for next year's inflation adjustment or COLA adjustment on Social Security will be around 9%. So to say that inflation isn't in existence, I assure you the government tries everything to not increase your Social Security as much as possible. And when you start seeing numbers like 85 9%, that's a a big number. Yeah, well, I'm glad that exists. I'm glad that seniors who are relying on Social Security have that backstop, if you will, that, you know, they are getting their dollars in more real dollars if they're increasing it. And we're going to get to Social Security and talk a little bit more about that Today here on the program, uh, again, Aptus Wealth Management is located just north of two tw- of uh, 23 and 270, up by 750, easy to get to. 
And you can get a hold of Josh and his team at Aptus Wealth Management on the web at aptusaptuswealth.com. So I guess the one thing that we know that is in the bill, and that's this is going to, I think, decide whether this really does help the economy. And I think I look at a lot of different things that help the economy. Jobs help the economy. Uh, corporate investment helps the economy, things like that. There's a tax in this bill, 15% mandatory corporate tax on corporations that make a billion dollars or in revenue or have a billion dollars in revenue. But there's also sizable taxes on small businesses. And I think the number that I saw on Ohio businesses was like 500 small businesses. Let's talk in generalities because we really don't have the bill in front of us and can't know specifics or we're not going to be soothsayers and predict the future. But generally, Josh, uh, I'm sure you have clients who are business people. How does an increase in taxes affect a business and how do they manage an increased tax bill? You know, this is an interesting one because I think, you know, knee-jerk reaction, particularly as a small business owner and, and you being, you know, a fiscally conservative guy, you immediately want to say that all of that is going to be borne by the people actually purchasing those goods and services. In other words, the businesses aren't going to bear the weight of the increase in tax. They're simply going to spread that down to the consumer. But just so I was, you know, staying on the right side here and yeah. making sure I was doing my due diligence, I have a very good friend who runs a very significant uh, manufacturing plant. So I called him and said... How are you guys going to handle this? Manufacturing, you're getting you know metal, uh, you're turning it into stuff. And he said, honestly, it's going to get spread across the board. But what he doesn't like is that uh, the opinion is that corporations are going to bear all of it. He said, we simply can't. We can't bear all of it. We would be non-competitive in the world marketplace if we bore, if we just simply absorbed all of that in-house. So he said, unfortunately, the whole chain's going to have to absorb of it, some of it. The manufacturers will have to absorb some of it. The distribution warehouses will have to absorb some of it. And ultimately, the consumers will probably absorb more than half of it. Now, this is anecdotal evidence, but I think it points in the direction that you and I already believed, and that is that raising taxes on corporations is not good for anybody, including the corporation. The only reason that it would be good is if you had the full faith and confidence that the federal government will be prudent users of your dollars and will invest in your future in a manner that is worth it dollar for dollar. And I don't think... If there's one thing we can say about government, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't think you have a huge amount of confidence that the government is the most fiscally responsive person on the planet. Yeah, and the escalating national debt, I think, would be the number one example that I would give of that. If you are being judicious in your spending, whether it's a family, whether it's an individual, or whether it's the government, uh, if you manage your money, you don't end up carrying a big debt. Well, we carry a gigantic debt as a country, and it seems not to bother some people, it doesn't seem to bother our politicians, but I don't think that that's necessarily the greatest thing ever. So I agree with you that, you know, they're not necessarily the best stewards of our money. When you talk to your friend in his uh, manufacturing business, did he mention that some of the costs might be passed on to the employees? Because I'm thinking about corporations that give stock options or have a certain percentage match on a 401k. I think when they incur an additional tax bill, you don't even need the word tax. They incur an additional expense. How do they write that expense off? They try to, you know, parcel it out in their chain of suppliers. They pass a little bit along to the consumer, maybe more than a little bit. But they also have another option that they can take some away from what they're currently investing in the people who work for them. Yeah, the unfortunate reality about politics or running a corporation or whatever it might be is, is optics are important. So is it easier? Let's look at the government, then I'll get mm -hmm. back to your example. Is it easier to say we're going to raise taxes across the board as a politician, or is it easier to simply say we're going to 
eliminate the deductions that you don't understand to begin with, which is effectively raising your taxes. Well, similarly with corporations, it's much more difficult to say, we're not going to give you a raise. Uh, we're going to lower your pay. Something of that conversation. That, that's a difficult conversation. Sure it is. It's much easier to say, well, because of difficult times, we're going to eliminate the match in your 401k. Um, because of the cost of health insurance, we are no longer going to cover a significant percentage. These are easier things to do from an optics perspective, but they still absolutely affect your bottom line. When you go home and you're trying to buy groceries for your family and you're trying to save and you used to put in 5% in your 401k and they match 5 and now you put in 5 and they don't match anything, believe me, that makes a significant difference in your retirement picture. So planning is more important now than ever. Yeah, and this is interesting how it ties in. You know, this corporate tax rate, you wouldn't think it has anything to do with a person's individual retirement, but it definitely does if you're getting a stock option or if you're getting a 401k match. Those are things that accrue over time. I mean, just give me a sense of the difference that can make in somebody's nest egg at the end if this would uh, carry forward for a 10 or 15-year period. These companies always say, we hope to reinstate this if things improve. That's how they can sort of minimize the initial shock of doing it. We've been around long enough to know that that doesn't typically occur. Yeah. Once things are removed, they're not added. Uh, so let's let's think about what is the impact. Let's take $100 and assume that your money doubles every eight years, which if your money doubles every eight years, there's this rule that of 72, and we've covered it enough times, yeah. basically means you're getting about a 9% rate of return. Now, you could say that's lofty or maybe even too low, but it's a good rule of thumb. So let's say every eight years our money doubles, and we're going to work for 40 years. So in 40 years, our money doubles five times. If we put in $100, that means 100 grows to 200, 400, 800, 16, 3200 bucks. If half of that 100 was our match, well now we have $50. Cut all of that in half. Yeah. So what is that impact per 100 per $50 match that is worth to you $16,000 in 40 years? I'd say it's a pretty significant difference. Yeah, no doubt about it. These are the kinds of things that Josh and his team help you understand when you come in for your free consultation. At Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040 if you'd prefer to set that up on the phone, or you can do it online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. The Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show airs at 7 p.m. Friday nights here on The Answer, and we replay it at 2 p.m. Saturday afternoon, and you can send us an email, bruce at salemmedia.com, bruce at salemmedia.com, with your questions for Josh, and we'll happily get into those in a future episode. So in this example of corporate manufacturing, uh, Everyone has some fallback in retirement, whether they get a stock uh, break or whether they get a 401k match. Social Security looms out there, and a lot of people have counted through the years on Social Security for their retirement. So let's talk a little bit about Social Security. You mentioned, first of all, a cost of living adjustment in Social Security. Uh, give us a little bit of a Cliff's Notes version of that and how it works and uh, what you think of that particular aspect of the program. You know, you know, I think sometimes we talk about Social Security and a lot of us will say, particularly, you know, 40 and under people will say, well, it probably won't be there or it's such a small amount, it's insignificant, let's not even pay attention to it. But the stats don't point to that. About 40% of people's retirement income na nationwide comes from Social Security. If you look at, you know, the 10 states that are most reliant on Social Security, that number creeps up towards 50. So if you think about it, roughly half the people in the country rely on Social Security as their predominant source of income in retirement. And there's a lot of concerns, questions there. And, and I think the best way to approach this would be, let's talk about the status of it. Let's talk about uh, whether or not we think it's going to be around. And then let's talk about some of the gotchas that might get you. Uh, so number one, do I think it's going to be around? Yes. Uh, is it going to run out of money? 
Yes. What would that mean? Uh, it would mean sometime in the 2030s. Uh, the projection that we see is 2034. That trust fund that helps fund Social Security is going to go away. That would mean that everybody's Social Security benefit in the country, if no changes are made, would drop by 24%. So does that mean it goes away, that, that thing that we hear, that nobody's going to get anything? No, that's not even the worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario would be you'd get about three-quarters of what you're receiving today. That still does not sound awesome. So what is going to have to happen? Well, if you go to the Social Security website today, you can find out what their anticipated changes are going to have to be. They wrote them down for you. Okay. So this is not Josh saying, this is what I think they're going to mm-hmm. be and hypothesizing. We don't know what answer they're going to pick. I would guess that it'll probably be a combination of a lot of things, but some things they're going to have to do. Uh, the taxes that you pay out of your paycheck might have to go up to help compensate for Social Security. Now, we just got done talking, Bruce, about how taxes are a problem and how we're going to tax corporations sure. and how inflation is an issue. This probably isn't a good thing to start taxing even more, but it's one of the options that's going to have to happen. The other would be, well, your full retirement age is no longer 67. Maybe it's 70 or 72, so less of a draw. Or, uh, and this is the one that scares the heck out of a lot of people, myself included, you've worked your entire life, you've delayed gratification by saving money while your friends were out spending money on stuff that they didn't need that they no longer have, doing all of the things that we uh, you know, say you should be doing on the show – and as a result of doing the right things, you have this nest egg. And this nest egg is going to carry you forward. And the government would then get to decide through something called means testing whether or not you have enough money or not enough to qualify for Social Security. So do the right thing, get no Social Security, save no money, get all your Social Security. I don't know that that is um, a, a pawn on the political playboard that they're ready to play yet. But there's going to be some changes done. Now, why do I tell you all of that? Because I think there's some potential gotchas that seem very obvious to me, like the taxation of Social Security is probably going to change. Is there a way to plan for that? Absolutely. Uh, perhaps a reduction in the increases in inflation for certain categories of income level. That seems very easy. That's one of those kind of behind-the-scenes things that could be done. Can that be planned for? Absolutely. So we can keep on going down and down the list with these, you know, what do I think is going to happen? But the answer is always going to be the same. They can be planned for so that you don't get caught with the unexpected smack in retirement. What is more fearful to me is people who don't do any planning, who don't think these things through, and here we are 75 when we need it most, and we realize that the game is being changed on us, and we never even thought about it. So you have to put some thought into it. You have to build it into your plan, or you do have the potential of getting caught with your pants down. So I find it interesting that uh, it's not going to go away. Worst case scenario, you said, is a 25% reduction, which you're right, is not great, but it's a lot better than it going away totally. And you can go to the Social Security website. Like you said, you can find out what your benefit is right now. I mean, they're very, uh, they send you out an, an update every year when you get to a certain age. But I'm curious uh, about Social Security when you think about it in terms of the tax planning and stuff like that. You said you can plan for those kinds of things. So is that something that's dramatically different for somebody who's at age 50 and retirement is out there, you know, 15 years uh, in the future? Is it different for somebody who's 60? Take me through a little bit of the options that people have or some of the steps they should be taking for tax planning on their Social Security. Yeah, so Social Security is taxed unlike, at least to my knowledge, unlike any other income stream in the tax code, meaning that the amount of Social Security that gets included in your taxable income is determined by your outside income. So that does not mean 
that your taxes change or your tax bracket changes. I mean the actual dollars that even count towards your income change. Let me give an example. Let's say you had um, zero outside income and you're living on Social Security of $25,000 a month or $25,000 a year, excuse me. Zero of your Social Security is taxed at all, meaning you pay zero taxes. If then you said, well, I also have this nest egg and I'm going to pull $50,000 a year off of that. Now, 85% of your Social Security goes into the taxable column. So you'd say, well, wait, I had 25000 and zero it goes into my income. Then I add 50 to it. I don't pay taxes on the 50. I pay taxes on the 50 plus 85% of the 25. So I'm getting double whammied. Now, how could we plan and maybe change that a little bit? So let me stop you so that I understand this. The 50,000 would be coming out of IRAs or your retirement nest egg or whatever. And are we presuming that that's already been taxed? So it's like a Roth IRA and it wouldn't be taxed again. Are you saying that 50 could be taxed as well? That 50 could be taxed as well. Okay. But now because you have a total in the government's eyes income of $75,000, you're 50 from the nest egg, you're 25. They now view your 25 and social security totally differently. Now it's taxable. Yeah. And it wasn't before. Because you were not at an income level that they deemed it quote unquote fair to tax you. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And as it stands today, up to 85% of your Social Security can be taxed. Uh, that's another one. Well, I don't know why it's 85. It could be 100. Is 50, <laughs> is, is, what is the magic number at which you have an income level that they begin to tax your Social Security? Is it at $25,000? Uh, no. And this is interesting because I, I hear oftentimes, particularly when I do educational workshops or seminars, and people go, well, that's only for rich people. Well, according to the federal government, if you have an income as a married couple, of greater than 44,000, you are rich because that's when you get in the 85% category for social security. Wow. So if you in retirement as a married couple have a nest egg or a part-time job or whatever, and as a couple, you're bringing in $44,000, you could have up to 85% of your additional social security draw taxed. Correct. And if you're single, it's 20, I think it's 32. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's 32. Wow. Yeah, it's a big problem. So, you know, again, first world problems, you have outside income and now you're being taxed, but it certainly doesn't seem fair. If we use the word fair, which is always a dangerous (laughs) one to use, it doesn't seem fair. Uh, But that said, how do we plan for that? Well, we can determine kind of the years in which we take income. We can determine where we want to take income from. So, for example, maybe it would make more sense to pull 10,000 out of our savings account this year and the other 30,000 from an investment account so that the blend between the two doesn't hit taxes the same way. Um, maybe uh, it would be a better idea than to have your house paid off. That's a big one we hear is don't pay off your house because interest rates are so low, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't have your house paid off, sure, you're arbitraging uh, between what I can earn in investments versus what my mortgage rate is. But it also means that I have to pull this additional income out every year to pay my mortgage, which might make all of my Social Security taxable. I might be better off having a lower monthly requirement because I lower my tax liability for things like Social Security. So it becomes very individualized, which is why I hesitate oftentimes when people say, well, what's the best thing to do? I need more from you to determine what the best thing is to do from you. But everybody's plan is not as simple as 11 questions online, and we give you the answer. Aptus Wealth Management, Josh Pick and his team, ready to give you a free consultation to help you understand the complexities of these kinds of questions, 614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, Aptus 
wealth.com. So if I think of retirement income as a spigot, I have the option to turn the spigot on however open or you know closed I want it to be on my own individual amount of savings through my through my IRAs, through my 401ks, through my investments. I have the option to regulate that. Do I have the option to regulate that on my social security or is it spigot either on or all the way on or all the way off? All the way on or all the way off. And that spigot analogy is a good one because the other thing that you have the ability to do is you probably have more than one spigot. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we pick which spigot we want to turn on arbitrarily. Uh, And you'll hear things like this because we compartmentalize as humans. So we'll, we'll think, well, I have this savings account. I'm going to use that until it's empty. Then I'll go to my, I had this one old 401k. I'm going to use that until that's empty. And then I'll work on the next one. And I'm just going to gradually work my way through the buckets or turn on these faucets. Mm -hmm. When in reality, you might have a Roth IRA spigot and you might have a 401k spigot. You might have an annuity spigot and you might have a savings account spigot. And it might make sense to turn them all on a little bit for tax planning purposes because it's more advantageous to do so. So there's other government programs or things that people also have to manage when they get to that point in time where they can be drawing Social Security if they want to turn the spigot on. What should people know about Medicare? Yeah, so, well, first thing I would tell everybody is I know if you grew up in in my era and maybe your era, um, it used to be viewed, and I remember my parents saying and my grandparents saying, well, I get to Medicare age and now my insurance stinks. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe that was true when compared to insurance of back then. But today, Medicare is arguably the best game in town. Mm. Um, so don't fret over the fact that you're going to have to you know, file for Medicare. However, um, Medicare's got its own list of gotchas in there as well. And I'll get into kind of how Medicare works. But uh, everybody has to be in Medicare Part B at some point. Once you're retired, you have to hop in. So everybody's going to pay for Medicare Part B. Now, that dollar amount, they change it every year. I think it's right around $175 a month now per person. Part A is free. That's your hospitalization. Part B is your doctor's visits. Uh, that's about $175 a piece per person. However, that's tiered. So that $175 can go all the way up to about $500 a month based upon your income. So if you make you know a million bucks a year, you're paying $500 a month for the exact same thing that somebody's paying $175. And I'm not saying fairness one way or the sure, other. no. But this is what I am saying. One way that you can get caught in a jam is there are, I believe, five tiers of expense for Medicare. If you file married filing separately, and let's say the, top, the first tier is $170,000 worth of joint income, which seems like a reasonable amount for a married couple, right? So as long as we're under 175, we're in the lowest tier. But our accountant told us that if we file separately and we put 90000 on you, Bruce, and we put... 50000 on your wife worth of income because it saves you $400 in taxes. Mm-hmm. As soon as one of you exceeds 85000 you pass go, don't collect, you go right to jail on the Monopoly board, and you're in the top tier. So you save $300 in taxes to pay an extra $400 a month, $300 a month. It can be a, a terrible gotcha. So this all has to go into the planning process of how we're going to do all of this. But anyway, let's get back to uh, Medicare Part B is your uh, doctor's visits, and then you have Part D, which is your prescription drugs, and then you can get a supplement. And the supplement kind of fills in all these gaps. They used to be called Medigap plans, which I liked the terminology better because it made sense to me. Medigap, I'm filling the gaps. Sure. Uh, But now they're called Medicare supplements. And then there's this other animal called Medicare Advantage you've probably heard of. I have. Medicare Advantage covers uh, one cost, your Part B, your Part D, which is your prescription drug, and your gap plan. 
But think of, for all intents and purposes, think of Medicare Advantage as an HMO. So you have to, as long as your doctors are in there, you're good, you're going to pay less. Think of Medicare supplements as a PPO. As long as they take Medicare, they take your supplement. So you get to decide, do I want to pay more for more options or do I want to pay a little bit less? Ultimately, what I see is in Ohio, at least, the average person is paying between three and $350 a month for insurance costs in retirement. The national average for all-in costs for medical costs in retirement is right around $5,300 a year. Now, that might sound like a lot, but that's all-in. That means you had a hip replacement, you had a knee replacement, and that was your total cost. So it's actually not as bad as you think, but it's important to get in front of it. It's important to plan because you can get caught with penalties for the rest of your life, too, if you don't file when you're supposed to. Yeah, my inclination was, wow, that is a lot of money, but if everything's covered, that gives me some peace of mind. So it's interesting. We spent a lot of this time talking about Social Security and what your benefit can be based upon you know when you decide to take it. And then there are other programs you think, oh, great, there's health insurance there, and now some of that Social Security is going to have to go to offset that. So yep. it is a managing process, and that's why it's so important to get with the people at Aptus Wealth Management because they've been through this a million times, and they can help you navigate these waters and understand, too, where you're going and why you're going there. AptusWealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com, 614-917-1040. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. They offer a free consultation, 614-917-1040. For those of you interested in finding out what kind of situation are we in regarding managing our wealth, are we ready for retirement? Are we on a good path? Would we like to get on a good path? Do we want to understand why we're doing what we're doing? And get your questions answered, no obligation at all. Aptus Wealth Management is located just north, about maybe two miles north of 23 and 270, just off Route 750. Very easy to get to, and you can get to them to set up your consultation online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So, Josh, we've talked a lot about retirement and planning and all those kinds of things, and I think when we talk about it, people kind of envision in their mind somebody who is 55 years old or 50 years old. But it's never too early to start planning for retirement. In fact, you're going to be better off at retirement if you've started early planning. So let's talk about somebody who's maybe, I don't know, 35 years old. They're established in their career. Uh, maybe now they've had children, they've got a house, and they think, you know, I need to think about long-term planning, even though I've got a lot of years left to live. What uh, kinds of decisions should they be making? What kind of counsel would you give to someone in that situation? Well, I think the good news is, and, and, and oftentimes maybe we sound like two grumpy old men saying hmm. we're not happy about some of the decisions that are being made with the country. Um, and it may seem like, as we're talking about things like Social Security, that there's a lot of doom and gloom. But the reality is, it's not that hard. To get to where you want to go is not mm -hmm. that hard. If you start early, you remain disciplined, and you don't make too many errors, you'll be wealthier than you ever dreamed of being. It's really not that complicated. 
Um, and there's some general rules of thumb. So one that I get all the time is how much should I be saving? As a percentage of my income, how much should I be saving? And for retirement, um, and this is, you know, uh, uh, depending on who you listen to, whether it's, you know, Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman or whatever mm-hmm. financial pundit, everybody kind of agrees on this. And that is you should be putting about 15% in your 401k. 15% of your total income or 15% of your take-home pay? 15% of your total income. Now, okay. remember, that's going in pre-tax. Yep. Now, if you do a Roth IRA, then that's going in after tax, and then we can start to reduce the amount that you put in because, obviously, when you reach retirement, you won't need as much because it's all tax-free. That said, that 15% can include your match. So if you work for a company that matches 5%, you put in 10 they put in 5 there you go. You're good to go. Now, the older, the younger you start, maybe the that number goes down a little bit. The older that you start, that number goes up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that's a good gauge. And, and and oftentimes when I say that number, people go, 15%, it seems like so much. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that they would be like, oh, I'd like to do that, but I can't. It, it does, it, and it is a lot. But I promise you, if you start this early, get in the habit, and you automate your savings, it is not nearly as much as you think. Because also remember, for every $100 you put into your 401k, that's pre-tax. Right. So if you're in the 22% tax bracket, it only feels like 78 cents. Then eliminate state income tax. Well, there's another three or four percent. So it, it it does not hit your pocketbook nearly as hard. So that's that's the number one thing. The other is um, if you're young, Roth it as much as you can. By Roth, I mean it's going to hit your pocketbook a little bit harder because it's not pre-tax. But that is the long. You have a much longer period of time to acquire tax-free growth. So you might end up. Remember that example we used. Uh, you know, just earlier today where you put in $100 and 40 years from now it's worth 32000 Yeah. Well, that's 32000 less less $100 worth of growth that was all tax-free. So you're much better off doing that. Now, is the impact of that tax-free growth as significant if it only grows for five years? Well, no. So when you're 60, the benefit might not be as great. But if you're in your 20s, you should be rothing and you should be, uh, you should be putting in at least 10 to 15%. So in terms of someone who comes in and is disciplined, do you find that couples are usually on the same page in these kinds of things? Or how often do you get into a conflict where maybe the guy is like, no, no, I want to take that money and buy a boat, or it'll be great for life experiences, or, you know, we want to do this, that, or the other. And then the other person, not maybe it's not the wife, maybe it's the husband in some cases, is the more disciplined saver. That's kind of something that I could see that you have to kind of litigate a lot. A lot. And and usually, you know, they say opposites attract. And uh, I can tell you with almost certainty that that <laughs> seems to be true, uh, particularly as it relates to money. But the benefit that I have is facts. And I think, you know, with all relationships, mine included, I'm sure yours is included, mm-hmm. we try and be as pragmatic and logical as possible, but there are emotions involved with love and relationships. So that, if you want to call it an argument at home, is much more of an emotional argument uh, where words are said like, well, you don't understand. Or you don't, and that doesn't go very well. Uh, I've been married a long time. It doesn't go well. (laughs) No, it doesn't. In my office, I have the ability to say, here's the facts. And you can do what you want with the facts. But doing this will get you here. And doing what you're saying will get you here. Mm -hmm. Pick your poison. It's up to you. And when you have the facts laid in front of you, then the emotions get peeled away. And both people have to come to some semblance of an agreement on it. So I, I don't typically have a problem with it. But yes, it happens all the time. 
Yeah, because the numbers don't change. I mean, math is irrefutable. I mean, you accrue at a certain percentage gain on average per year, you are going to reach a certain destination. So I would imagine that you know, the cold, hard reality of it can simplify some of these kinds of decisions. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to mention his name, but uh, on this radio program, we probably know who I'm mentioning. But, uh, you know, the T-shirt, the facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah. They really don't. Yeah, no doubt about it. Josh Pick and Bruce Hooley with you here on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com. Free consultation. Go through the process. Where are you right now? Where would you like to be? They can explain it to you. More importantly, you'll understand it. And I think we always feel better about where we're going when we understand why we're going there. And I would imagine that the process you go through with people to get them aboard their own personal Aptus Retirement Blueprint, Josh, is a, a kind of an interesting, enlightening experience for people to, I would think, leave your office with a degree of assurance that maybe they didn't have coming in. For sure. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people walk out and, and, and they, or when they're at the end of the meeting, they'll say things like, I thought this was going to be way worse than it was. Um, and that's empowering. It feels great. I'm glad people feel that way. And it's it's unfortunate that there's so many people running around living a life of fear of mm-hmm. not knowing, right? Wouldn't you rather know? I mean, if you're living your day every day thinking that you have a heart problem, it might make sense to go to a heart doctor and just check it out. If you're living your day every day or your weeks and months and years every day worried about I know I'll never be able to retire. I know I can never quit my job. I know that if something happened to my husband's job, we'd be in a really bad spot. Not knowing is oftentimes much scarier than the actual reality. So come in and find out. Uh, And, and, you know, fair play. Maybe you are in as bad shape as you thought you were, but at least you know where to go from there. Exactly right. So let's talk about the kind of life processes that people go through. We're talking about a couple mid-30s, successful children. They've bought cars, I'm sure, up to this point, but now the first big investment of a lot of people is their home. Should people look at their home as an investment? Oh, this is going to sound wishy-washy, but yes and no. Okay. Um, Can real estate be an investment? A hundred percent. Are there people making a whole bunch of money off of real estate? Absolutely. Your primary residence, does it usually actually resemble what I would call an investment? No. It resembles a home that you take very emotional, Mm -hmm. and you usually uh, end up improving it more than you should. You usually end up spending more money on it than you should. You usually, there's, there's a whole host of reasons why you're not treating it like an investment. Now, is it better in the long run than renting? Usually. Not always, but usually. But we've also determined that the people that are alive today do not view homes the same way as people 50 years ago. That's right. We people see 50- a proliferation all over Columbus of living arrangements that would not appeal to me now, would not have appealed to me when I was young. I had it banged into my head that you buy a home, you pay for a home, and then it'll give you at some point the option to borrow against that home if you need to. But that's not how people are thinking now. We're seeing people more... Uh, open to and, in fact, desirous of living in kind of what I'd call group environments, homes, uh, not homes, but apartments, condos, patio homes, things like that. Well, the other thing that happened was, you know, most people, if I think back to my grandparents, for example, they bought one home. It was a fixer-upper. They spent their entire lives fixing it up, and they, you know, it, they always it was always a joke. You know, our house payment was $67 a month. It's because they bought it in 1940. Yeah. Uh, and they still live there today. And it's, well, I mean, my parents are, my grandparents passed away, but those people still live in the same house. 
and now has that appreciated? Yes, it has appreciated a dramatic amount in the last 50 years. What do people do today, though? The average home buyer lives there between five and seven years before they move to the next one. They incur costs of uh, moving, buying new window treatments, putting in new carpet, uh, the costs of closing, the list goes on and on and on. What we're really doing is long-term rentals. And we're usually moving to upgrade into a bigger house, more bedrooms, more bathrooms, a theater room, a swimming pool out back. We're looking to trick it out to a degree that maybe is not practical for the place we live now. So we're looking for a bigger place, which guess what? Comes with a bigger financial commitment. A hundred percent. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, but that's why I would not call it necessarily a great investment. Um, And that's another reason why, you know, one of the, you asked me, you know, what are some things that I would impose upon young people? Uh, I know this isn't Vogue and uh, we, we see things on TikTok and Instagram where you're supposed to, you know, debt's the greatest thing ever because, (laughs) you know, interest rates are low and, you can get money out of, I just saw one the other day, you know, we can get money out and it's tax-free. That's my my biggest friend, not my foe. Um, ultimately, if you want to look at, I've been in this business for a long time, you know, more than a couple of decades. And I've seen people who live very comfortable, successful lives that do not include a tremendous amount of stress. That's also important. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? They pay cash for almost everything. Did they pay cash for their home? No. Did they pay cash for every car in their life? Not feasible for everybody. But do they go out and finance a couch? No. They pay cash for almost everything. They automate their savings, but they actually physically pay their bills. And the reason that they do that is they don't want to have to ever think about whether or not it makes sense this month to save, but they want to make sure that they're keeping track on how much they're spending so that they can actually manage that. Are we paying too much on the cable bill? Mm -hmm. So they manage their expenses, they automate their cash. Uh, People who are happiest, we're getting a little altruistic here, but I think it's important, they spend most of their money on experiences, their disposable income on experiences, and not steep down the rabbit hole I was listening in for finance. Yeah. Part of my job is I'm a barometer of seeing people live well and happy. And the happiest people, they do things like travel, spend time with their kids, they... Very rarely do I have anybody come in, no matter their socioeconomic status, and we talk about for an hour uh, their new Ferrari, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether they have one or not. They don't talk about it. Um, The other thing that I would suggest to young people, and I'm sure you fell victim to this, and I certainly did, is things take time. Slow down. Um, This opportunity that you're about to rearrange your entire life for and scramble to go grab probably isn't as good as you think it is. Slow down. Take your time. Make decisions. Pick investments. Uh, Warren Buffett has a great approach on this, and I think this hammers home the point. He says he wishes that people only got, uh, they got a punch card, and they only got 20 punches. And the punches represented the investment decisions that they were allowed to make in a lifetime. And if you only had 20, you'd make really good decisions. Yes, you would. You'd weigh every one. And my suggestion would be buy really good investments, buy really good stuff. Don't follow the... The, the TikToks, et cetera. And then last, and I'll, I'll shut up here, but um, the one that I cannot stress enough, if I look at all of the clients that I've had over the years and the ones that are truly successful, the ones that have the happiest lives, pick the right spouse. Pick the right spouse. Pick the right spouse. Interesting. You wouldn't expect to hear that in an investment advice show, right. but that is important because as we talked earlier, to be like-minded on these kinds of decisions. I mean, a lot of marriages disintegrate over money, over debt, over things like managing money. So picking somebody 
who's the right spouse. That's huge. very, very important. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. It's the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Get with Josh and his team for your free consultation. Understand this process and all the different tentacles that can come off of financial decisions and get peace of mind for your wealth management and for planning toward retirement. 614-917-1040 is their office number. Their web address is aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So I asked you about whether a home is an investment or not. A lot of people view life insurance as an investment. I know there are many different kinds of life insurance, and there are a lot of uh, people who sell life insurance plans as investment plans. So what kind of thoughts do you have when I mention life insurance and whether or not it should be viewed as an investment? Well, like it or hate it, it's a necessary evil, particularly if you have a family. And if you don't have any and you have a family, you better either be really independently wealthy or you don't care about your family. I mean, let's just hit the nail on the head, yeah. right? There's a bunch of different ways that you can accomplish that. Um, I would suggest that you buy life insurance before you think you need it because it's a heck of a lot cheaper when you're younger. Yes. Uh, everybody wants life insurance when they find out they have six months to live because yeah. it's the best investment ever, but you can't get it. Um, I am not adverse to any particular investments. There is a time and a place for permanent life insurance, and let's differentiate between the two. There's term life insurance, which is like renting. It's like your auto insurance. You pay a premium. You have coverage. The day you quit paying the premium, you no longer have coverage or close to the day. Yeah. And then you have permanent life insurance, which includes things like universal life insurance and whole life insurance, which is the one that we all remember from when we were kids. And then you have variable universal life insurance, all these different life insurance plans. And and the concept of permanent is I'll have it forever, as the name entails. And then it also means that Uh, I build up cash value inside of this that I can use. uh, You'll hear the terms, you know, I I become my own bank. I can borrow the money. There's huge tax advantages to doing so. And life insurance can become a tax-free source of retirement income or emergency funds. And that is true, okay, if structured properly. And that's a big caveat, if structured properly. If you look at a lot of the policies that were written back in the 80s and 90s, they were not. And you'll hear the term run out of gas or these policy blew up or it was my worst investment because they were structured improperly. The problem that I have with, quote, life insurance agents is they are selling you a life insurance policy because that is what they sell, whether you need it or not. And they'll say everybody needs it. And sure, everybody needs it. But there's kind of a checklist to go through. Do I have an emergency fund today? So if I lose my job, I can pay for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. Okay. good. Check the box. Am I already contributing in my 401k up to the level that I know I need to be for retirement? Yes, check the box. Um, Do I already have enough life insurance to cover if I actually die how much my family gets? Yes, check the box. Have I already maxed out a Roth IRA if I can qualify for that, which is tax-free income in retirement with much less fees? Yes, check the box. I still want to save more money. All right, now let's look at permanent life insurance. The problem is, Uh, You know, if you go to a fish restaurant and you ask them what you should eat here, they're going to say fish. Well, if you talk to an insurance agent and say, what should I invest in? They're going to say insurance. And it may or may not be the best for you. 614-917-1040. Aptus Wealth Management is the firm. Josh and his team ready to have a free consultation with you. Go through the process. Get your own Aptus Retirement Blueprint so that the time and the effort that you've invested in building wealth is not wasted, is not compromised, and is not minimized. So is there ever a time where if you've had life insurance, I'm thinking, you know, of course, mainly about term insurance, where you get to a point in your life where it makes sense to let it run out because it gets more expensive as you get older. And 
as you said before, you certainly want life insurance when you're young, you're the sole provider or the primary provider, you have children, you have college educations and weddings and things like that to pay for. But do people ever get to a point in their life where letting the term life insurance policy run out makes sense? Yes, absolutely. The, the, it, simply the term, term life insurance, means that I bought it for a specific term and a specific purpose. When that purpose and that term is over, you don't need it anymore. And what would what would cause that to happen? Well, I'm, I'm, I bought it when I was 35 years old and we had a family and uh, it was a 20-year term. I'm 55 now. I had a I had a $500,000 life insurance policy because if something happened to me, my family would need $500,000 to get by. Well, now I have a million dollars saved up. Well, doesn't that kind of accomplish the same thing? Now, that does not necessarily mean that it, it makes sense to get rid of all life insurance. The permanent policy, for example, may make a lot of sense. Um, another thing that's uh, become very prevalent in the last 10 or 15 years is you can actually sell your life insurance policy. Hmm. So you're 75 years old. You have this life insurance policy you no longer want. Let's say it's a permanent policy, and it's got a hundred thousand dollar death benefit, and it's got a half million, or it's got fifty thousand bucks in cash value. So if you die today, your family get a hundred grand. If you wanted the money, you get fifty grand. An investor, because you're seventy five years old, might be willing to pay sixty grand to buy it off you and make the premium payments, knowing that he'll get a hundred grand when you die. Um, and you could say, well, that's morbid. Sure, but if it gets me sixty versus fifty, yeah. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. So. You know, if if you're in your that, that doesn't apply to everybody, but if you're, you know, over the age of sixty five, it's worth taking a look at. So I'm thinking about this kind of transition. We've gone from this couple who's thirty five and they're planning for retirement. Now they get toward retirement. Their kids are out of the house. They've saved some money. Maybe it's time that they transitioned from one kind of life insurance into term insurance. Now they don't really need term insurance, but something that I think everybody needs to have at least on their radar is that we don't all grow old gracefully and without the need for medical care and are able to like stay in our home until the end. So what kind of planning can a person do from a investment perspective for end of life care? I mean, is there, I assume there's insurance for that. There's, you know, your nest egg for that. What kind of uh, advice would you give to people or things to be aware of as they maybe have not even thought about this before, but it's certainly now something that I think everybody has to face could be a reality for them. Yeah. And it's, it's much more prevalent now than it was in the past. If you look at stats in the past, it was one in every four, one in every five people would spend some time in a long-term care facility. Now it's about a coin flip. It's about 50, 50. So whether you, you think, and men always say this, well, I already know what I'm going to do. Uh, I already instructed my son to kick me down a flight of stairs. Yeah. It doesn't happen in real life. No. Right? So we, we have to take a look at it. Everybody's plan, everybody has a plan today, and that plan is spend all my money till I'm broke, and then I hope that I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, that's not really a good plan. <laughs> no. But it's our plan. Um, the other plan would be, well, l- let's actually look at this and say, is there a way that I can maybe shield or protect some of my income to be used by me so that Medicaid picks up the tab. And Medicaid is the governmental program, kind of the sister program to Medicare that covers people when they are destitute, they're out of money. And that applies also to long-term care facilities. So, you know, when you run out of money, they're not going to not take care of you. Yeah, you're not going to be on skid row or homeless or, you know, living in a van or something. The government's there for you. So there's some uh, legal things that you can do via trust work, et cetera, involves an attorney where you can maybe make yourself on paper look like you qualify for Medicaid sooner than you really would have. Um, That's one form of planning. And then there's insurance policies, just like you said. The key with insurance, though, just like we were talking about term and permanent, buy it before you need it 
or you won't qualify for it. But there are long-term care policies, hybrid long-term care policies, combination life insurance with rider long-term care policies. All of these things will provide a benefit to enable you to hopefully stay in your home, have somebody come in and take care of you. Or if you go to a facility, have the choice of the facility. And that's the big difference between buying insurance versus doing the trust planning is you have to, with just trust planning, you have to go to a facility that actually will take Medicaid. And not all of them will. So if you want to have the pick of the litter, I want to go where I want to go, you better either have the assets or the insurance to cover it. In about 90 seconds we have left, um, I think basically what we've talked about in this segment is peace of mind, is planning for peace of mind. And that can be accomplished through your free consultation at Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040. But let's say we have the real high achiever kid who's in college right now, and you want to give them one or two things that they should focus on with a very long-term view toward end-of-life issues and peace of mind through this whole process. What would you tell them to do as they're embarking upon getting their degree and starting their professional career? Yeah, well, that's that's a. I'm going to answer that in two ways very quickly. Way number one is when you're young, take more risk with your career than maybe even your parents tell you. Um, if I look at the people who have become truly successful, um, and I'm not talking about pie in the, so- in yeah. the sky, you know, pot shots, but I mean, if you say I've always wanted to try this, you have plenty of time to recover when you're 22. Take the chances now because I meet with tons of people who are in their 40s and 50s, and they're biggest comment that hurts them the most is I really want to try something, but I can't now because I'm either too old or I have too many responsibilities and they don't do it. So take the shot. Yep. Um, two, uh, save early. And while all your friends, when you graduate are going out and buying BMWs and stretching themselves thin and not contributing to their 401k, drive the old car, put the money in the 401k because they are going to have to save twice as much as you are right now in five to 10 years to get in the same spot. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think live below your means when you can live below your means. It all comes out in the wash in the end. And the earlier you start, the better off you're going to be. Helping you understand these principles is what they specialize in at Aptus Wealth Management. Understanding is a big key to having peace of mind as you go forward. So get with Josh and his team, 614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Thanks for your time today. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.